Proverbs chapter 11, starting with uh, verse 12, and I'll be reading verses uh, uh, 12 through uh, 15 to start off with, and then we'll read verses 16 through 23 uh, to close it out. Starting with verse 12, he who is devoid of wisdom despises his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his peace. A talebearer reveals secrets, but a man who is faithful, who is of a faithful spirit, conceals a matter. Where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Uh, he who is surety for a stranger will suffer, but one who hates being surety is secure. And we'll stop there and we'll pick up the other verses as we go through. Father, we're uh, grateful to be here tonight. We're thankful, Lord, for uh, the relative health to be here. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for just uh, your grace throughout this week, uh, your grace uh, that is far greater than we ever understand. Uh, Lord, we pray that um, as we meet here, gather in the middle of the week, uh, Lord, you just refresh uh, each and every heart, and uh, Lord, you just draw us nearer to you. Uh, but we also would have uh, hearts that are yielded, uh, ready uh, to hear you speak and, and, and desiring, Lord, to put into practice and to application that which you uh, speak to us by your word. We pray uh, that your spirit would minister, Lord, that uh, you would just drive out any distraction, Lord, that would keep us from receiving from you right now. Fill us afresh and anew with your spirit. Anoint this time. And Lord, we just thank you for, uh, once again, the preparation through, through worship and in song. And, and now we uh, pray, Lord, that uh, you would speak in a mighty way through your spirit. And we ask it in your name. Amen. So uh, we have been, uh, in chapter 10 and chapter 11, we talked about how often uh, the word righteous is mentioned, and we've been kind of looking at uh, the fact that those that are righteous or have received a right standing with God, um, how they uh, will align their lives with exactly what the Scriptures uh, command. And, and so once we, once we come to know the Lord, uh, the scriptures say that the commands of the Lord are no longer burdensome. You know, when you were unsaved, uh, anything that uh, that you know someone would say, well, this is what the Bible said. You, you didn't want to hear it because you say, well, that that would make my life miserable or boring or uh, uh, you know, I just I would never be able to fathom uh, having the pitiful life of Christians. And that's that's what many people still think that haven't come to faith in Christ, and and that is what many of us. Even if we didn't think it in those terms, we, we kind of acted in those ways. I, I never kind of verbalized it that way, but looking back, I, I certainly uh, didn't want uh, what I thought was a righteous life or a faithful life. And uh, it took God um, you know, breaking down uh, my heart and bringing me under strong conviction and the need for a Savior. And then once, uh, once I accepted Christ, and I'm sure this is true of your life as well. When you're on the other side of that two-way mirror, you're just like, why did I wait so long to come to the Lord? Why did I wait so long to, uh, to listen to God's uh, command and also request? He both commands and requests uh, us to, to come and to uh, submit uh, at the foot of the cross. And tonight we're going to look at, uh, once again, there's a contrast uh, of those that are righteous, not because uh, we have done anything to be righteous, but because we have received the righteousness of Christ, we've received the right standing through the blood of Jesus. And the difference in life between those of us who have yielded our lives to the Lord uh, versus those that uh, still resist. And so they still uh, are sitting on the throne of their own heart. So if you're taking notes, I've taught at our time in the study tonight, faithful in spirit, faithful in in spirit. Now you can't be faithful in spirit unless you have the Holy Spirit. So you have to receive the Holy Spirit. We've talked about this many times that all who are saved, anyone Paul wrote through Romans, anyone hath not the Spirit of Christ, he's not of Christ. So we have to have the Holy Spirit to be faithful in spirit. But if we have the Spirit, we can then yield to the Spirit and then we can walk in the Spirit and we can be faithful and fruitful in the Spirit. And these are things that we'll look at more in Ephesians as well, just as we saw some of these things uh, in Galatians. But uh, starting with verse 12 here, we have a contrast uh, of two different uh, lifestyles, if you will. He who is devoid of wisdom despises his neighbor, and but a man of understanding holds his peace. 
For many people, and also look at verse 13 as well, we'll just do those two together. A talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. For many people, if you look at verse 12 specifically, it doesn't take much for a lot of people to hold a grudge. It doesn't take a lot for people to say something like, they make me sick, and, and really mean it. It doesn't take a lot for someone to say about someone else, I can't stand them. You ever heard someone say that at work or something? Or a neighbor say that about another neighbor? Or a family member say that about another family member? Uh, or someone to say something like, I'll never forgive them. And, and in their heart, they mean it. There's a bitterness there. For, for other people, there, it may be words of gossip, slander, tearing other people down. Uh, these, these things are commonplace um, in how some people will speak and, or maybe how they get even uh, or how someone promotes themselves. All of these things are forms of, of using the tongue as a weapon, if you will. But the loose or the vindictive tongue of the foolish person, it's a reoccurring theme in the book of Proverbs. Those of you who've read the whole book of Proverbs, you probably notice this isn't the last time uh, speech or the tongue will come up. It, it is a recurring theme. There's a number of reoccurring themes in Proverbs, but this is one of them. And for those that are devoid of wisdom, and, and what does that really mean? Devoid of wisdom? Well, there's no light in their heart. There's no light in their life. Uh, you and I would be void of wisdom if, Christ, if the light of Christ did not shine within us. So those that are devoid of wisdom, they have no light of God in their hearts. When that's not there, then what will be present can be hatred, can be jealousy, can be the disdain of other people, and, and yet the world will consider that very acceptable and normative. Right? You can tweet it that way, you can say whatever you want on camera, and the world will just think, you know, there's someone who speaks their mind, right? But if we're being changed by Christ and we have the Holy Spirit leading our lives, we'll hold our peace. We'll bridle the tongue. Now, this doesn't happen. Well, it, it starts to happen as soon as you get saved, but it, it, it's certainly something that over time the Holy Spirit will more and more use your tongue in a great way. Wouldn't you say God used like Peter's tongue in a, in a very positive way as he grew in the Lord? Would you say he used Paul's tongue as a very positive thing as they grew in the Lord? Moses. But over time, the Lord will have us use our tongue in such a way that will bring peace and will bring mercy to our neighbors, just as Christ has done for us. Just he's, he brought the word that came from God out of his mouth to the world. And this will be even if people rub us the wrong way. And guess what? People will rub us the wrong way. And we'll actually rub other people the wrong way, too. This is going to happen. You know, Charles Schultz, who wrote all the peanut stuff, he said, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. <laughs> I think he passed that on to Lucy in the, uh, in the, whole, um, in the whole series. Um, she kind of wears that disposition. But um, you meet a lot of people that way. I just don't really like people and, you know... Uh, except for myself, of course, but um, we're called to love our neighbors, all of them, in both word and in action, word and action. The parable of the Good Samaritan, remember Jesus you know, told this in the New Testament in his earthly ministry, the parable was actually prompted by, and you may or may not remember this, the parable, when he, Jesus told this story, the parable was prompted by uh, a question of who really is our neighbor. That's when he told that parable. It's in Luke chapter 10, verse 29, but he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, if you ask Jesus a question, you better be prepared to get the full answer, if he chooses to answer, because sometimes he actually wouldn't answer people. But if he answers, you're going to get the exact facts on the matter. And Jesus confirmed that even complete strangers in that parable, remember it was the, the Samaritan man sees a man that he doesn't know, and he's in a foreign area, he's not from there, neither one of them would know each other, but Jesus makes it clear that even a complete stranger, when we're traveling far away from our house, 
is our neighbor. Well, if that's the case, Jesus was saying everyone made in the image of God, so everyone you ever meet is your neighbor. Everyone I ever meet is my neighbor, is the point Jesus was making. Um, And when you think about it, that really changes the way we think about our interaction with people that we're being sent out into the world to interact with. I mean, we, we, we don't choose who we're going to run into a lot of times, right? You didn't wake up this morning and say, I think I know every single person I'm going to meet today. We don't know. But everyone we meet, biblically speaking, Jesus said that everyone you meet your neighbor along the way. It changed the way we think about how we interact with people. You know, Sunday night, um, we, were, we were at uh, the Youth Correctional Night, uh, which, by the way, a, a blessing. We had the largest team I think I've ever seen there. It was so cool. Um, I had forgotten what a blessing it is to go in two-by-two two in the units. We only had one unit. We, we weren't able to go two-by-two. Two. Um, one of the reasons why this is important is Jesus sent them out, what, two-by-two, and I forgot, because I'm, I'm used to going into units by myself. The whole team is used to going into units by themselves. Uh, but this particular Sunday night, we had a couple of visitors, and uh, different people came. And so we were in there two by two. But I was with someone who had never, never gone before. And uh, so we go into this unit, and, when I, and they're watching a movie. So I'm like, oh, great. Finally got rid of football season. Now they're watching a movie. Me of strong faith was saying, Ain't no way they're stepping away from this movie for a time. But two did. And uh, I was like, yes. Thank God that God, they listened to God instead of, uh, and so two walked over. And one surprised me because I had only met him once before. And I had gone into his, you know, right to the doorstep of his, it had the doors open to each individual cell. And, and I had approached him uh, the previous month, but he didn't want to come. He shot me, came over there, and it turns out he's, from a non-religious family, the other guy. But I was thinking as I was talking, I get pretty real with the young men and, and whoever I meet with there. And I said to this, the, both these guys, I had the other gentleman who never gone before, he's from our church, and it's his first time going out there. And I said to these two guys, I said, look, why do you think we're here tonight? I said, on one, I, I said, just want to be put all the cards in. On one hand, I don't need to be here tonight. Why, why, why do you think I'm here? I said, I didn't want to come. I was really comfortable on the couch. Very comfortable. And I had put in more than enough hours as a pastor that week. Forget, it wasn't like I needed to punch the clock and said, well, you know, I, I, need, I need to add more. I said, that, that Friday, I taught a 7 a.m. study and a 7 p.m. study and had done, I said, I, I had filled the hours. It, was, it wasn't like I looked on my ledger and said, boy, you better add two more hours or, or you're not qualified to do what you're doing. I said, none of that. Ha- it wasn't even because I'm a Christian necessarily. All it was, was Jesus compelled me to go. Remember what Jesus said? He said the cross compelled him. The cross compelled him. In other words, he would see you and me, and that's what would compel him. Now, I don't even have enough compassion. Here's the, here's the thing all of us Christians have learned. I do not have enough compassion to care for people, and nor do you. Believe it or not, you, if you're really compassionate, you actually don't have enough compassion to keep a high, full glass full of compassion at all times. You know how it stays full? You have a high love for Jesus, and he constantly fills the, fills the glass for people. It, you can't even get it the other way around. It says, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. Then love your neighbor as yourself. The person who doesn't love and serve God will never be able to love and serve their neighbor. Not more than just kind of patronizing. Because real love costs us something, doesn't it? It might cost us zipping our lip. It might cost us not saying what we want to say. It might cost us going and doing something we really don't feel like doing, picking up the phone, going somewhere. For some of you ladies, making a meal when you're exhausted. And I appreciate every one of you do it. You know, I've seen you do it. I know. I've seen a meal go out. I'm, I'm sure they had to work today and everything else and all those kind of things. But that's what love does. It actually says, I am going beyond. That's what Jesus did. He went beyond his feelings. And so the righteous person 
you know, we're not righteous in and of ourselves, but when we love the Lord, he takes us past ourselves. And we're able to hold our peace, but also we're able to go give peace. You see, both are important, right? There's a time to hold our tongue, and there's a time to go and speak. He said to the prophets, go and speak. They couldn't stay home. They couldn't say, well, I don't really feel like going. You know? What compels you to come out on a wet Wednesday night? It can't be to hear me. Right? I mean, really. (laughs) I'm not being funny. I'm saying God could put anybody up here that he, he could replace me in a New York minute with way better people. That's, that's fine. But his word, if you love his word, you could learn from anybody. If you really love his word, I could learn from anybody. It's his word that, um, that compels us. It's his word that actually gets inside of us through the Holy Spirit and says, no, you're going to be different than the rest of the world. You're going to go places for different reasons. You're going to not go places for different reasons. You're going to speak as the oracles of God. Now, none of us can speak. That's a new t- you know, that verse in the New Testament. None of us can speak as the oracles of God unless God is actually speaking through us, right? Paul said in his flesh nothing good dwells, so there's no way we would actually conjure up that kind of depth of love and speaking to the Holy Spirit. It has to come from the Lord, and it will. But a man of understanding holds his peace, but again, he also will bring that peace. Um, what's conveyed here. Uh, is that the words that come out of our mouths, they come straight from our heart. Isn't that true? Jesus said, out of the the mouth proceeds the desires of the heart. So somebody talks filthy, that's what's in the heart. If they talk with vengeance, that's what's in the heart. Those kind of things. But if they talk with love and kindness, that's what's in the heart. A heart surrendered to Jesus will reflect the words and the ministry of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, Listen to these words of Jesus. These are tough, tough words. And that's why I said you have to love God first for these words to ever happen in our lives. Matthew chapter 4, verse 43 and 44. It'll make sense when I read it. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Okay, that's easy enough. But he didn't stop there, did he? But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Whoa. Jesus took it to a whole new level. And he never said, oh, you know, I I went a little too far. I'm going to backtrack that a little bit. I'm going to soften it for the church. He never took the statement back, did he? It's still there. It's still red letter in your Bible. Matthew chapter 4. But he says, again, now I'm going to call you to even love those that hate you, not just rub you the wrong way, not just irk you, but actually can't stand you. Our brothers and sisters around the world have to live this out in ways we really don't generally understand. Maybe there's a random thing here and there, but for the most part, they have to really live this out. They can't despise their neighbor even though their neighbor despises them. As we look, uh, verse 13, a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is faith, of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. Uh, this continues the thought that those that are faithful to the call and the commands of God um, just refuse to use the tongue in a way to damage or to destroy or discredit people, but rather, and this is the heart of a believer, both for those inside the body of Christ, you know, we need to do this within the body as well as those that are outside, but rather protect and Lord willing. Here's the, here's the key opportunity here. If we use our tongue to protect people, not discredit them or defame them, Lord willing have an opportunity to bring grace and healing to a life or a situation. I have people that I've met now, and I got saved in 95, um, I just recently had someone from way out of my past reach out to me out of the blue that I've been praying for for really literally this week. Reached, reached out, and what, what, what the next steps are, I don't know, but I'm liking what God is doing. I'll, I'll just say that. 
I've had other situations like that all in time. One of the things that, um, that the Lord uh, want, wants me to know, and I believe he wants all of us to know, is don't burn bridges. Facebook is a great place to burn a lot of bridges. And people are doing it, and they're missing out on opportunities to actually bring people to the Lord. I'm not just trying to pick on Facebook. I have a Facebook account, but um, I, I'm not getting into the stupid things that people are getting into when some of those people one day might want to pick up the call, call, phone and say, I need prayer. But if you've burnt every bridge proving everyone you're right and they're wrong, they're, you're not going to get that call. I'm not going to get that call. Um, but if we protect and say, you know what, this isn't a time to you know, just kind of lambast, I'm just going to pray for that person. And then, of course, there's sensitive matters where uh, concealing a matter or protecting someone and saying, you know what, you don't need to expose their sin. Imagine if someone exposed all of our sins. Jesus didn't do that to most of us, or any of us to, for that matter. But So uh, we, live, um, we live in a society uh, where everyone loves the dirt on someone else. Wouldn't you agree? Everybody loves the dirt. I mean, you've seen the newsstands when you go to check out. I don't think most of these people ask to be trashed <laughs> on the front of the magazine. Hey, please write everything bad you can about me. Um, the magazines, the Twitter feeds, the blogs, the TMZs, uh, the mainstream media, everyone joins in and just, you know, uh, I'm not endorsing that old song, but remember that song, Dirty Laundry? It hasn't changed since then, right? People still love to kind of dish it out on everybody else. And then the, the, the comments of people today, uh, I mean, now it's gotten so, you know, kind of ridiculous that they'll even read... Uh, nasty tweets to be funny because they're so nasty. People, their, their comments are so snarky, so vicious, so vile, so condescending. But we as believers, we should look different than the world, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we look different? Shouldn't we act different? The world will see that, that we have a different spirit. The Bible said of Caleb, remember Caleb and Joshua? The Bible said of Caleb, he had a different spirit. It wasn't that it, when Caleb walked, you could even see a difference in him before he spoke. Yet he had a countenance different that those that love the Lord, people should be able to see it, but also in what we say. Let's move on to verse 14. Where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Now, again, with Proverbs, um, and some of these characteristics are good characteristics that God wants us to have. Uh, they're not all linear, is the next statement. These principles uh, that, that should be found in our life uh, will we'll kind of change direction. So here there is a, a gear shift here. This isn't about the tongue um, in verse 14. But it certainly is about uh, the, way, uh, the way we live our lives and, and, and what it is that we follow. Uh, if God's given us some wise counsel, are we going to follow it? And in verse 14... Um, speaks of you know, having counselors around us, uh, it's easy for people uh, to trust their own thinking. It's easy for all of us to trust our own opinion. It's a bad habit just to trust our own opinion. I'll never I forget, I was uh, about 10 years ago, and I was talking to a guy who very strong personality. He was an executive of a company, and uh, very super strong personality, uh, but I but I never forget. Sometimes you hear someone say something that it sticks with you. Uh, I thought it was good. He said, "There's probably twelve ways to do this, and we're lucky if we know one." And he was a really smart guy, super strong personality, had a really great team around him, but he admitted candidly, that there was probably a bunch of ways to do this, and we're lucky if we know one of them. Now, I think that made the team feel a little dumb at that moment, but uh, that's, that was a, beside, later I was like, well, maybe that was a little too strong. Maybe say there was probably, we're lucky if we know three uh, instead of lucky to know one. But nevertheless, it stuck in my mind because it was, you know, God can speak to us through anyone, an unsaved person or a saved person, in the Bible, a donkey one time uh, did some speaking and, and spoke some real wisdom. Uh, 
And I thought about that because I was like, as I was riding away later that day, I was thinking, in many things in my life, there's probably multiple ways to do this, and I think I know how to do it because I know three. But the more people you get exposure to, especially that are spiritually mature, the more your vision goes this way instead of this tunnel vision. This is the way I do it. It's the way I've always done it. It's the only way to do it. But trusting our own thinking, our own opinion, our own intelligence, or experience when making a decision, that comes pretty normal to everybody. Just what, you know, I feel this is the right way. Uh, just uh, as many of Disney movies, follow your heart. Which, by the way, the Bible says is not a good thing because the heart is deceitfully wicked. So the Bible says not to follow your heart, but to follow the word. But wise people are constantly, wise people are always getting input from other people. That's why uh, those of you that are wise, you, you read books from saints of old because you want to learn from their lives. You want to learn from people who have already done this. As the book of Hebrews said, so great a cloud of witnesses. Who wouldn't want to hear from the cloud of witnesses that have gone before us, both in the Word and, and those that have been, you know, alive in the last 2,000 years since the Scriptures. But we're, if you're wise, you're constantly getting input from other people in the course of life. But also, not just in the course of life, very intentionally and purposefully, and especially in particular critical situations, getting input. It's good to get the input of people from a decision that are not emotionally involved in it. Right? They don't have any skin in the game. They can objectively help you make a decision. Say, you know, well, here, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? And a lot of times, if you hadn't, and you're honestly, wow, I hadn't thought about that. Well, this, if you realize this could affect your children. Whoa, I didn't even think about that. How, how so? Well, in three years, bah, 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 it's good to have input from people. It's good to have mature people in your life. If you don't have them, Seek them out. It's just another example of the value of mentors in our life. The value of having people that are more mature, more experienced disciples of Christ than we are. And there's always someone that has gone a little further than we have that we can learn from. It's another example of the importance of spiritual peers. And they're not necessarily more. They could be kind of equal in, uh, in kind of the walk, maybe what they've attained to in following Christ. But you know Proverbs 27 says, iron sharpens iron, but iron can't sharpen itself. Air doesn't sharpen iron. So people, if you're not in relationships and fellowship, if you don't have spiritual peer groups, if you're not in relationship, it says iron sharpens iron. It doesn't say air sharpens iron. An iron rod by itself can't do that. It has to be rubbed against another one. And that's where having people in your life that that you trust and they trust uh, that, you know, you, you trust them and, the, and their counsel would be in love. It's not, you know, in the, in the world. You know, some of the world's counsel is to make sure you might have a great idea and they'll, that's a really bad idea. They'd steal it, right? Not trustworthy, but people that really love you say, well, that, I love what you're thinking here, but pray about this. Think about, re, read this book of the Bible before you do it. Have... Maybe someone says to you, hey, has God given you a verse? And you say, well, no, I haven't gotten a verse. But then again, I haven't prayed about it either, so how would I get a verse? But it was a really good idea because I read it in a magazine or whatever else it may be. So it's good to have these counselors, and there's safety in it. There's safety and better consideration, better planning when we have mentors, leaders, um, peers around us who truly love us and truly love the Lord. Uh, this is also why, and it's certainly scripturally mandated, but it's also why we have elders in the church. Uh, I could make every single decision, but I don't. I, I bounce a lot of things. I say, hey, what do you, what do you guys think? Let's, would you pray with me? Hey, let's fast over this, that kind of stuff. I mean, it's good to have people. I have a, a board that's outside the church that I'll reach out to as well, and mentors like Sam and Pastor Tony and many others that they I'm thinking, what do we do here? It's another bridge we have to cross the church. We've never gone through this bridge. Uh, I don't want to reinvent the wheel when other people have done some of these things. How about you? That's why I'm glad God's given us a, a range of uh, experiences and diversity in the church here as well as you know, people's different age and how long they've served the Lord and, 
And, uh, and I encourage people that have some mature uh, walk and mature maturity in years to get more involved in younger people and middle-aged people because they have a lot to give back. And these are all good things. Look at verse 15. Uh, he who is surety for a stranger will suffer, but one who hates being surety is secure. Now, we are definitely called to be generous and willing to help people, and I hope that everyone here is, but we're also called to be wise and discerning. Giving and generosity is actually the conclusion of chapter 11, so this will be the last uh, part. We'll close on uh, giving and generosity in this chapter. And although we should all be ready to give, very few uh, have the kind of un- um, you know, kind of unending wealth, uh, nor should they be, even if they could, to be a blank check for everybody else. Would, you, would we all agree with that? Yeah, that one I agree with. Yeah, definitely I should not be a blank check for anybody. But probably no one in here could be a blank check. But there are people, you know, there are billionaires that essentially could be for a lot of people. But even if, uh, if they were, that's not something that God has generally told anybody to do. And Solomon, who had a lot of money, is the one that wrote this. But uh, over the years, I, I've learned this personally and, and in the ministry. I mean, uh, my wife and I, we've tried to be very generous. We've definitely uh, had opportunities to directly help people, but also in the ministry as, as a pastor and elder, we've, we've had you know, many opportunities over the years uh, to help people. People the Lord has led us to say, hey, lend them a hand, do what we can, and um, and we have to be willing to lend a hand, all of us. Um, but people, when we're willing to lend a hand, people also have to be willing to be transparent and answer some questions. If somebody says, you can't ask that question to me, that's a red flag, right? Who are you to ask me? Well, we're trying to help here. How will we know? You know uh, no, no, you don't ask any questions. I, I tell you what, what I need, and then you just... But, you know, if, if you really are humble and and the need is, is genuine, and uh, you're willing to kind of uh, have a little bit of um, testing on the matter, then it might make sense to go forward. Uh, we want to help people, but we can't be people's personal security blanket. None of us are called to be... Ever, the, your personal security blanket is supposed to be Jesus. Mine is supposed to be Jesus. We, we are to help, but we're not called to be everyone's source. Jesus is to be our source but yet we are the hands and feet of Jesus to be part of that source. And if in life we ever needed to co-sign, let's talk about a real contract. If you ever needed to co-sign, um, I think the only, I've never had to co-sign for anyone, uh, but I have kids that will get old enough that that may happen, say, may ask me one day. Because my dad did co-sign for me once when I was, I, I want to say I was like 18, my first car or something like that. I think he co-signed with me. Um, or for me, because I couldn't get it. And I paid all the payments on time, paid all the gas, and still was ready to move out as quickly as I could because I wasn't saved. And so, uh, but still, I mean, it, that deal didn't work out bad for him because I paid every penny of it. Some of you may have had a parent that did a co cosign or something like that, but um, there may be a time and place for it. it this, this isn't saying that it's an absolute never happen because there's other scriptures that kind of seem to indicate that uh, there can be a scenario. But I'd say this, when you're a surety for someone else and their, their financial commitment, you better, I better know their character, right? And then the second thing is we better be totally, truly willing to lose the entire amount that's on the hook. Like if you were a parent and you were going to co-sign for a $4,000 car for your kid, you would better be willing to give, say goodbye to the whole 4,000 that the relationship could be salvaged rather than actually say, because you didn't pay, I'm not talking to you anymore, right? So surety comes with, you have to think it through and say, look, pray it through and say, all right, Lord, I would do it. Their character's strong. But what if, you, what if you were surety for a really person of high character and they really did get sick? Now you're on the hook for it. Are you going to be bitter about it? So we'd have to go into that saying, Lord, I'm either going to pay it all or a portion or none, and I'm okay with all those scenarios. But you'd have to, wouldn't you agree that would have to be settled in our hearts before we would actually go forward with that? Um, otherwise, don't enter into the agreement. 
not wives. Next verse, verse 16. A gracious woman retains honor, but ruthless men retain riches. An odd verse, huh? A gracious woman retains honor, but ruthless men retain riches. Now, Solomon did a lot of people watching. Any of you do people watching? You can learn a lot about people by watching different behavior patterns, and and you'll... You, know, you have behavioral specialists and uh, those that uh, anthropologists and you know just watch and kind of observe how a society acts or how a group of people act or or how a certain profession might interact or all these different things. But um, what I believe Solomon is getting at here, a man that has no morals, and he, and he parallels a woman to a man in this particular case, a man that has no morals, no compassion. No conscience. Who would want to be married to this individual, by the way? No morals, no compassion, no conscience. The the word Solomon used here is ruthless. That's the word he used. That's a really strong word. The word for the woman is gracious. It's a really beautiful word. We'll look at that in just a second. But someone with no, no morals, no compassion, no conscience, they may end up with a lot of money, but that's all they'll have. That's all they'll have. Um, it's a soulless and hollow experience, isn't it? Existence, if that's all you had was money. Just a hollow experience, or existence, I should say. It's a sad state when the only way you can attain friends is by force, which then they really aren't friends, by some sort of flattery, or buying the attention and affection. It's a sad state. And Solomon is saying that a gracious woman, though, perhaps with very little, may not even have much at all. A gracious woman here, as women in the ancient world, they didn't have the same social status as men, and as you know, in many parts of still the Middle East, this is still the case even today. Uh, But a a woman that was gracious could have an evident value that people could see. A strong character that people could see. A respect that was visible to anyone and everyone. And money wasn't the source of it, right? It was the spirit. It was that faithful spirit. It was the character of the heart. This is someone you want to be around, right? Someone has this gracious spirit. Gracious in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word here, uh, it means courteous, kind, or pleasant. Ruthless is just vindictive, cutthroat, no morals, no, no limits, whatever it takes. But gracious, courteous, kind, and pleasant. I love being around people that when they walk into a room, their graciousness, their sincerity, their joy, their kindness, their happiness, their humor lifts people's spirits, makes people comfortable, not in a you know, pacifying sin way. I'm talking about comfortable, like you can actually take a... Ah. When some, someone walks in, you know who they are. They actually lift everyone's spirits. I've met people like it. It doesn't take me minutes to, if I've met someone new that is like this, you know immediately that you're not, what you're experiencing, they do everywhere they go. Because the graciousness is sincere. It's, it's from the Holy Spirit. They make people appreciated, heard. They foster fellowship. They foster friendship. They foster relationships, not just with them, but in a whole room. It's like, Coaches kill to have team-building people. You ask any, uh, my brother's a, a volleyball coach, um, and, and I'll talk to him about coaching things, and I, uh, I, I read things, uh, I, I like sports, I read coaching things, but anyone desires to have people who are magnetic to actually pull people together. And they have a graciousness to them. They just do. Now, some people kind of have that, But all people can grow in that 
when we walk in the Lord. Because we'll become joyful. Jesus said that your joy would be full. He, he wasn't saying, and this is for a special few people. No, all people would have joy. And once we have joy, we'd actually carry that with us everywhere we go. So a woman of a gracious spirit here, and she may not have the money, but she's very valuable in a lot of different settings. Look at the next verse. Verse 17, uh, the merciful man does good for his own soul, but he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. Jesus addressed this directly, and it was a theme of his ministry. I'll read it again just so you see what I'm speaking of. The merciful, that's the key word here, the merciful man does good for his own soul. But he who is cruel, this is very similar to ruthless, he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. And when Jesus directed this in his own ministry, basically Jesus was saying those who have received mercy will likewise give mercy. Once you know you've received mercy, I mean, you really know. I mean, you know that you did not get what you deserve. You stop giving everybody else what you think they deserve. Because Jesus gives us things we definitely do not deserve. Those who reject the mercy of God do so to their own destruction. That's what, that's what it's saying here. The one that's cruel does it to his own soul. If you reject the mercy of God, uh, certainly it contributes to your own destruction, but you can bet that someone who rejects the mercy of God in their lifetime on earth isn't going to be given mercy out that much either. They don't want to receive mercy, but they don't want to give mercy. Angry and, angry and vindictive people are killing themselves slowly and don't even know it. Did you know that? I mean, bitterness is tearing people up. Uh, I just, just very recently, in the last week, I was talking to someone. They were telling me about a real, real thing that happened in their life. And uh, they were telling me that um, they were in a situation where um, this it was a healthcare situation. And so uh, the, the, son of this one, the son of this one specific uh, woman who was receiving uh, healthcare, um, she had two sons, and they're both attorneys. But the one was a real nice, true story, real nice guy, very pleasant to deal with. The other son, both really successful attorneys, was anytime he'd come, just would light into the healthcare professionals, you're not doing this right, just blow a gasket. I'm going to fire all of you. Just, just really, just like little veins popping out, like to the point where they were like, afraid we're going to get hit by this guy. And then one of the doctors says, do you want to live? To him. The way you're acting, have you ever had anyone die of a heart attack in your family? Oh, yeah, yeah, you're going to join them if you keep it up. Just flat out said that to him. And, and uh, I said, you know, he got a bit of wisdom whether he wanted it or not. But this angry, vindictive Lifestyle is not only destructive to everybody else, but destructive to the person themselves. And I hope that uh, that kind of made a mark. He needs, he needs more than that. He needs the Lord. But we see that uh, the Scriptures are true. Uh, that one that um, lives this way, one that's cruel, troubles his own flesh. Not just, um, uh, not just the soul, but the flesh itself. I mean, ulcers and, you know, high blood pressure and all kinds of other things that come with it. And, uh, you know, we're going to look at, um, I'm, we're going to look at some of the stuff I, I announced that later this month we're going to do another uh, fear, anxiety, stress, and depression workshop. And there's some principles biblically that we'll look at that um, it, the way we choose to act will absolutely affect our health, not just affect people around us. It'll, it'll affect us too. Um, in Matthew 5, 7, it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. That's what Jesus said. That was the words of Jesus. It, we don't need any more authoritative statement than that, right? Blessed are the merciful, they shall obtain mercy. Do you want to obtain mercy from God? I do. Keep practicing 
being merciful. The Bible says to practice righteousness. You have to practice being righteous. The Holy Spirit is your coach, and he'll never fail. We can practice being merciful, and the more merciful we are, the more mercy we'll receive. Isn't that great to know? I was telling the kids that that, that same night, Sunday night, uh, the two guys I was talking to, I said, you realize that, you know, if when I was unsaved, this is the way I would have thought about me visiting you tonight. I would have thought, it's your bed, you lie in it. I said, there's people all over Richmond that still think that about you. They're not going to come visit you because you made your bed, you committed the crime, you do the time, I couldn't care less about you. But that's the way I thought before salvation. I wouldn't have cared one lick about their situation. You did it, you deal with it. But then Jesus comes along and says to us, no, you did it, and I still am going to come to you. And it changes the way we think. And then we have to say, wow, that kind of mercy has to be given back out, doesn't it? It can't be just absorbed. I like that kind of mercy, but I'm not going to give that kind of mercy. We have to give that kind of mercy out. And I said, now, that's why me and this other gentleman are here tonight, because we now, we are compelled to give the same mercy that we've received. That's it. There's no other reason. We've received mercy. We now give it. Jesus said in Matthew 9, 13, I love this passage. If you don't have this marked down, write this down. Matthew 9, 13, I love the way Jesus frames this because it's something all of us have to get our arms around. Listen to the words of Jesus, Matthew 9, 13. He says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I love that Jesus says, go and learn what this means. Have you learned what this means? Have I learned what this means? He says, I desire mercy. Mercy, not sacrifice. You know what Jesus is saying? He is not, many people will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ on judgment day, and everything they have will be wood, hay, and stubble. It'll be consumed. And they'll be like, I thought, I did this, I did this, I did this. I even served in this ministry. I did this ministry. I did this ministry. Jesus said, you never did it. Any of it was, none of, none of it was mercy. It was checkbox. It was checkbox. That's, I didn't call you. He said it's, very clearly, he said, I did not desire sacrifice. But I gave my time for that. Jesus is not impressed that we not impressed that I gave my time Sunday night. He's not impressed that if you church, served in children's ministry Sunday, or you were parking cars, or you were greeting people, none of that. He's not impressed. He's never said to anyone, Wow, you are amazing. But he does say, you exhibited the mercy that I exhibited to you. That's Matthew chapter 25. Reread Matthew chapter 25. He says, I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was naked and you clothed me. Why? Because all of those are the response of mercy from the Holy Spirit. They're not saying, well, I did my thing. This, I, I wrote a tithe check. Check that box. I did this. Check that box. Did this. Check that box. God probably owes me a half a crown for that. Right? I'm not saying people consciously think that way. I don't think most Christians consciously think that way. But we subconsciously operate that way. Does that make sense? And we're all guilty of it at times. We subconsciously operate with, well, I did this, I did this, I did this. My list is pretty strong. And Jesus says, but none of it had mercy. Go and, and then what he says to all of us is, go and learn what this means. You mean I have to? He's like, in other words, go back to the quiz, retake it. And when you do the things that you do, and I do the things that I do, and they actually are clothed in mercy, well, he says, I, can't, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. He says, now you'll have compassion for sinners. Once you embrace the mercy of God, say, well, I don't have any heart for lost people at all. I can't remember the last time I shared the gospel with a single soul. Go back to the foot of the cross. Go back and learn mercy. And then you'll actually say, well, those sinners that I was, I once was lost, but now I'm found, I'm blind, but now I see. You'll go and have the same heart that comes from the Lord. Verse 18, 20, um, combining 18 through 20. The wicked man does deceptive work, but he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward as righteousness leads to life. So he who pursues evil pursues it to his own death. Those who are of a perverse heart 
are an abomination to the Lord, but the blameless in their ways uh, are his, uh, but the blameless in, in their ways are his delight. These verses here um, tell us, again, a contrast of, uh, of reading, leading a life uh, that is of righteousness, following the commands of God versus just kind of doing what you can to get ahead, which so many people do. You know, we can deceive people if we want to. We can steal if we want to. We can cut corners if we want to. We can give less than we're actually being paid for. But it's a short-sighted gain. Wouldn't you agree? You could do all that stuff, but it's a short-sighted gain. You might even avoid law or IRS or this, that, and the other, but it's a short-sighted gain. Because God keeps the books on everybody. You know that even those of us who are Christians, when we stand at the judgment of Christ, says the books are opened? That's a, that's a sobering thought, even for Christians. I'm not talking about the great white throne judgment where the, the book is, you know, your name's not in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm talking about for us. God keeps the books on everybody, no matter who sees it or who doesn't see it, God keeps the books. And he knows. But the faithful in spirit will do the right thing when no one's watching, and will do the right thing even when it will cost us personally. And sometimes doing the right thing will cost us, but only temporarily. It's better to do the right thing than you know, just you know, cutting the corners and things like that. In time, sowing the right things will reap the right things. It'll reap a harvest from God. That goes back, I don't have time to read it right now, but remember Galatians chapter 6, verses 8 and 9, right? What we sow is what we reap, but do not become weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. If we faint not, if we don't give up, say, well, this isn't worth it. I see the world, they get away with this, they get away with that. I want to do it that way too. And no, it's, you can't cut the corners. Verse 21, though they join forces, the wicked will not go unpunished, but the posterity of the righteous will be delivered. Um, when Jesus, the day he was crucified, you remember that uh, neither Pilate or Herod had met Jesus. Uh, you may remember that, that neither one of them had met him. And um, they didn't even like each other, Pilate and Herod. They, they despised each other. But that day they became good buddies, and they joined forces and crucified Jesus. Um, but even though they joined forces to crucify the Lord, um, you can be assured that uh, three days later, Jesus won that battle, didn't he? They joined forces against him. In Psalm chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, Why do the nations rage and plot a vain thing? And the kings of the earth set themselves out, and the rulers take counsel together. They band together against the Lord and against the anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in peace and cast them away their cords from us. But you've got to love verse 4. But he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. At their, the Lord shall hold them in derision. God is not the least bit flinching when the world bands together and says, we are going to silence the whole world's Christians. We're going to get rid of the Bible. You know what the world's been trying to get rid of the Bible for 2,000 years? They can't get rid of it. The Bible's doing just fine, isn't it? But people keep, their lives keep ending. The Bible's life will never end. Jesus said it's settled forever in heaven. Heaven and earth will pass away. He said, but my word will never pass away. People can band together all they want. The, the rulers, uh, they, they join forces. The wicked will not go unpunished. Uh, it's a really dumb thing to say, I'm going to fight against God. And the posterity of the righteous will be delivered. Isn't that great? The posterity of the righteous... Uh, not only will you and I be delivered, but if we, if we bring our kids to Christ, they'll be delivered. If they bring their kids to Christ, their kids will be delivered. Don't you want to, I was running this morning, I was praying, I was talking to God, I said, Lord, I want to see my children's children. I'm, all, I, I'm already praying that. Now, I'm not rushing it, because the oldest daughter's 16. <laughs> but I also look forward, you know, Abraham, one of the things I loved about Abraham, he looked up at the stars and God says, so shall be your descendants. He actually, I sense that Abraham, as God, God wanted to tell him to look at it like it was a big deal, unless he knew that it would be a big deal to Abraham. So Abraham looks up there, and he starts to look and say, 
those are my future descendants? Caring about people you've never even met. That's what God does. He expands our vision. See, the the wicked just want to get away with what they can do right here, but we're looking way beyond that. We're looking a thousand years out and saying, but if I follow the Lord, I could have my kids and their kids and their kids and generation after generation to the fathers of the fathers. That's the Lord's desire. The posterity of the righteous will be delivered. God didn't want to just save Abraham. He wanted to save Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, right? It wasn't just Abraham. He wanted the whole patriarchs all the way through to Moses and then to Joshua and all the way through to David and all the way through to Paul and Peter. And that's why they would say, I love the apostles to stand up and preach. They would say, our fathers. That's the way they spoke of, we don't ever speak that way in America. We don't say our fathers. But God wants that kind of relationship connection that we have the same father. We've got to close it out, verse 22 and 23. Verse 22, as a ring of gold in the swine snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. This is another interesting verse, huh? A ring of gold in the swine snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. So this is the opposite of the gracious woman. By the way, every time in the Bible you see a picture of a godly woman, it's a picture of the church. Every time you see a picture of an ungodly woman, it's a picture of mystery Babylon, the false religious system as well which she shows herself up in the book of Revelation. Uh, But the word Hebrew for discretion means taste or behavior. You can look lovely on the outside, but character and behavior changes that appearance dramatically, doesn't it? You know, when we were young, all we cared about was people's looks. When you're in high school, you didn't care. If they look good, I'll date them. Every year in life, that that paradigm starts to shift. The older you get, you're like, whoo, I dodged a bullet there. Well, you know, you're thinking that. You ever look back and say, boy, did I dodge some bullets? And they probably think the same about us, so that's fine. But, and they did dodge some bullets, I'm sure, with us as well. But uh, you, you get older and you realize, especially once you know the Lord, but you realize that it does matter what people have in their heart. They can look like the Adonis or some supermodel But if their character is lousy, they start to look totally different to us, don't they? You know, there's a reason why some people, they kind of act like they're 16 forever and then no one wants to marry them when they're 35 or 40. There's a reason for that. Because they never learn discretion. That you can't always act like a juvenile frat party, whatever it is that you eventually have to gain some maturity or your attractiveness will only take you so far. Isn't that true? And that's why, sadly, some of these people have great looks. They end up addicted to drugs and alcohol. The modeling scene, we, we knew, when we lived in Miami, we, we, we knew a lot about the modeling scene. It was big there. And so many become addicted because that will not sustain you forever. Ever watch two minutes of those music award shows or a comedy routine? You can have some good-looking men and women that will nauseate you pretty quickly, right? Because looks don't go that far. In ancient times, the women would wear the little gold ring in the nose. And I know that's become popular again in our day. But it was, it was, um, it was basically jewelry. And, uh, and it still is uh, normal in lots of parts of the world, in the, in the Far East and the Near East. I'm saying, um, I mean, uh, India and parts of um, the Near East, not the Far East. But... Uh, and it, just, just like a ring on the toe or on the finger. It was, it was just jewelry or ordina- uh, some sort of um, adorning. But pigs, on the other hand, pigs were an abomination to the Hebrew nation. God had told Israel through the law of Moses they couldn't have anything to do with pork and pigs. So for Solomon to say it's like putting a ring in a pig's snout is the lowest of low. He's saying a woman with no discretion, with no character, might as well be a pig in the slop. Good for nothing to the Jewish nation. We close with verse 23. This is our last verse. Uh, The desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. The desire of the righteous is only good. Um, That should be our desire. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? That's what the desire, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
the desire of the righteous is always to become more like the Lord. And, and not that we would be prideful in that in any way, but just a desire to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I, I've loved the song for years. I used to sing it to my girls when they were, when they were young, um, putting them to bed. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back, right? It, it's you just, because that song is so true, if you never turn back, you would always be growing in grace, wouldn't you? A telephone call. It's like old school even. I mentioned chords on Sunday. That's the way the phone sounded back then. You had the... But we've got to come to a close here. Uh, the expectation of the wicked is wrath. We can keep following Jesus, and that road will lead into heaven. But the world, if they say, no, I don't want to go down that road, broad is the road to destruction. That's the easiest road you can go down. But the expectation is wrath. The only thing that waits for those that reject God is the wrath of God. The only thing that waits for us the, that love God is the love of God. Do you see the difference? We get the expectation of God's love, but if we reject God, we have the expectation of his wrath. To me, it seems like a really easy decision. How about you? Let's close in prayer.